If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the First Peter, chapter two. First Peter, chapter two. We have been in a study of this letter of First Peter for a little while now, and we have talked about the fact that as Christians we are called to live uh, a godly life and live godly lives in an ungodly world. And it seems that the longer this world stands, the more ways they come up with to be ungodly and to live opposite the way that God wants us to live. And so Peter addresses his audience, who were a group of scattered Christians all throughout what we would think of today as modern-day Turkey. He tells them, he reminds them, first of all, of who they are. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, they were born again. They've been begotten again. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now we are made alive. Now we've been born again into verse 4, or rather the end of verse 3, a living hope. We were dead, and we were made alive ourselves spiritually, and we've been given a living hope. Peter calls us in 1 Peter chapter 2, living stones. We are living stones being built into a temple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. And so we are part of that. We are part of a living, growing, breathing organization and organism. And uh, we will continue to be. So all the way through chapter 1 and through the first part of chapter 2, Paul tells us who we are. Or Peter tells us who we are. I told you I was going to do that before we finished this. I was going to call Peter and Peter Paul and Paul Peter. But Peter's the one that says this. And Peter tells us who we are. And then in the last part, transitioning from chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 18, Paul tells us what that looks like. How do, we, how do living stones live? How do people that are members of the Lord's body, how are we supposed to live? And he talks about four different groups. He talks about, first of all, in verses 13 to 17, we talked about this last week, he talks about the government. And the word that he uses in all of these groups, there are four groups. The government, there's also today, we're going to look at the idea of the workplace, our employer and employee. Next week, we're going to look at the idea of the home. And then finally, just everybody in general, a word that's used for all those folks is the word submit. That's to be our attitude. That's what that looks like. So, Last week, we looked at the idea of submitting to our government that no matter what kind of government we serve, there over the history of time, there have been many different kinds of governments. There's been dictatorships, there have been theocracies, there have been monarchies, and there have also been democracies. And whatever government we find ourselves in, Peter tells us we're to submit. We're to honor the government, we are to... Uh, be Christ followers, humble ourselves, and submit to our government. And this can clearly be seen in Peter's conclusion of this paragraph, starting in chapter 2, verse 15. That's where we left off last week. Chapter 2, 15 tells us, for this is the will of God. Why do we submit to the government? Because it's God's will. Because God said so. This is God's will, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We're going to see some phrases used over and over by Peter. 
The first phrase is submit. But he also uses that phrase doing good. And uh, can I suggest to you that submitting to our government is not always easy? Can I submit to you that submitting to our boss isn't always easy? Submitting to our husbands and to our wives and to each other isn't always easy, but we know it's God's will and it's what we've been called to do. Instead of trying to overthrow the government, instead of trying to have a, I guess, hold up strikes and say our, our boss is an idiot and, and different things like that that we might want to do in the workplace sometimes, we're called to submit. And it's not always easy. But Paul gives us, or Peter gives us four directives in verse 15, uh, 17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor all people. Did you know that everybody that's ever been created has been created in God's image? There's a piece of God in each and every human being, and every human being deserves honor. Would you agree with me that there's a lot of folks today that feel left out? They feel disrespected. They feel disenfranchised. Now, I'm not going to turn this into a political sermon. I don't think that's what Peter has in mind. Peter is not trying to tell us how to run our government. Peter's trying to remind us how we as Christians are supposed to react to others. And that's by giving honor. Uh, sometimes the disrespect, sometimes the dishonor, sometimes the injustice is manufactured. Would you agree with that? People, I think in our world, I, I saw a book yesterday. We went to Ollie's. If y'all have never been to Ollie's, Ollie's is a pretty cool store. Uh, we went to the one in uh, Columbia, and uh, I saw Glenn Beck's book entitled Addicted to Outrage, and I almost bought it. I put it in the buggy, and uh, I, I then I thought, well, I don't need this book. I've got a bookcase full of books I've never read yet, so I need to read the ones I've started already, uh, but I've got this philosophy in life. You can never have too many books. Uh, you need to, to keep on, uh, I, I'm just, I don't want to run out. But I, I was just kind of thumbing through that book. We live in an age that we are addicted to outrage. Everybody's offended. Everybody's outraged. Everybody's upset. And I am convinced. Now I understand I'm just a little bitty preacher in a little bitty church in a little bitty town in a little bitty state. Alan Jackson had a song about that. It's all right to be little bitty, Amen. But I'm convinced half the people that say they're offended didn't know they were supposed to be offended until somebody told them they should be offended. <laughs> right? Peter here says, honor everybody. I don't care what someone's skin color is. I don't care what their educational background is. I don't care what job they have. I don't care what their economic status is. I don't care what their social status is. They were to honor people. 
And notice what it says. He says, not just honor people, honor all people. Everybody. And then he says, in verse 17, love the brotherhood. He makes a special distinction. He says, honor everybody. But by brotherhood, he means church. Those in the church. Those that, like us, have been born again. We've been made living stones. We've been part of this kingdom, this temple that's being built up by God. He says, love them. And that's not just, we use the word love in the English language. We love everything from banana pudding to our mama, to our truck, to baseball, to football. The Greeks had at least four different words for the word love. And the word that Peter chooses here, we translate it love. But Peter used the word agape. And that means to seek the highest good. The highest type of love is possible. Peter says, you do that for each other. Can we be honest? I'm pretty well convinced that as Christians, we don't do such a good job with this agape thing. Uh, we don't love the way that we ought to love. As a matter of fact, if you ask a lot of people, what do you think about Christians? Love does not top that list. A preacher friend of mine was saying, uh, yeah, you know how Christians are. We're, they're, they're kind and they're loving and they're gentle and they're forgiving. And no matter what you do to them, they just continue coming back and being friendly and kind and nice to you. And he's, oh, Wait a minute, I was talking about Labrador puppies. <laughs> As Christians, we're to honor all people. We're to love the brotherhood. We're to fear God. Notice he doesn't say fear the government. He doesn't say each of these groups of people are separate categories of people. They're different uh, the, uh, the, the verb that's used that we're supposed to do for these different folks are different. We honor all people. We agape the brotherhood. We fear God. Can I tell us here this morning that God is really, truly the only person a Christian should fear? Amen. Amen. Now, our government can kill us. You say, well, there's that. <laughs> but can I tell you that if you're a Christ follower and the government kills us, all they're doing is sending you home. Amen. Jesus says, don't fear the person that can kill the body. Amen. He says, fear the person that can kill the body and the soul. And that's God. Y'all, for too many people today, God is that old man upstairs. That kindly grandfather that, now in the Old Testament he liked to smite people. You know, he had a big stick and he would smite this person, he'd smite this country and he'd strike this person dead and he'd do that, but not today. We live in the age of grace, so God sits. He doesn't sit on his throne, he sits in a rocking chair. With his little cardigan sweater on, because 
He's getting old, you know. He's been around a long time. And he's, he's smoking a pipe. And he's that, well, you know, I know that God might not like it, but he loves me anyway. We have lost our fear of God. And can I tell you that when we stop fearing God, it's only a short step or two later before we start stop worshiping God and stop following God. Not only do we not fear God, we don't respect God's word. When I was, and I've told you this before, when I was growing up, my grandma was about four foot nine. And she was, had a lot of Cherokee in her. And my dad's nickname for her was Geronimo. And uh, I was afraid of my grandma. Just a little bit afraid of my grandma. I'm just a little bit afraid of Marie and my mom and some other women that are in my life. Especially when they get that look in their eye. But my grandmama was a whole other level. I was 13 and she smacked me right out in the middle of the floor because I said something smart. I was pretty tall at 13. I was just a little bit afraid of her. But that fear turned into respect. I respected my grandma. And can I tell you, if my grandma was still alive today, she'd be 110. So I don't know how well she'd get around at 110, but can I tell you, I'd still be a little bit afraid of her, amen? <laughs> my God, and you're a God. That same God that smote in the Old Testament still knows how to smite. If you don't believe it, read Acts chapter 5 when God struck Ananias and Sapphari and Sapphara. Well, that was a southern right there, Sapphari. Ananias and Sapphara, dead. That was in the age of grace, by the way. That was in a church service. Could you imagine if God struck somebody dead in a church service today? You read Acts chapter 5 and it said, Ananias and Sapphira fell dead. The young men went out and buried them. It said, the very next verse says, great fear came upon the church. You know, I bet it did. Imagine what would happen if God were to strike someone dead. My first thought is, Lord, please don't let it be me. Amen. <laughs> But if it's not me and it's someone else, you go home and said, and, and, and your family says, or you go to a food saver and somebody knows you've been to, where you been to church? What happened at church today? Well, let me tell you, God struck somebody dead. We might have two people here next week. Y'all, we laugh. But you want to know why our world and why our country has gotten into the shape it's in? Because we don't fear God. God is coming back. Peter will tell us in 2 Peter that the only reason he hasn't come back is he wants everybody to repent. He's trying to give everybody that chance to come back. But when he comes back, 
He's not coming back as a loving Savior. He's already done that. He's coming back as judge. He's coming back as Lord. He's coming back as king. He's coming back to take charge, amen, and take over. Honor all people. Agape the brotherhood. Fear God. And then he says, honor the king. And we say, and, and my first inclination was, well, Peter didn't know who's going to be president when he wrote this. And it doesn't matter whether Donald Trump is president or Joe Biden or Barack Obama or Jimmy Carter or Richard Nixon. When Peter wrote this, think about this. When Peter wrote this statement, honor the emperor, honor the king, Nero was emperor. So it doesn't have to do with the style of government we have. Our government, whether they do what they're supposed to or not, they are God's representatives of authority. And we are to honor them. Titus tells them we are to pray for our leaders. I've got a question for me and for you. I wonder if we would pray for our leaders instead of criticizing our leaders. What if all of us all of a sudden prayed for the president? What if all of us all of a sudden prayed for our Congress and our governors and our school boards? Now, I'm not saying that when election time comes, we don't try to elect godly people. I'm not saying, and we'll talk more about this next week. I'm not saying that when injustice is done, we don't stand up and say, we need justice, because we do. But as Christians, we are to always be respectful. We are to always be kind. We're to honor all people. Love each other. Agape each other. I just want to use that word agape, because I don't want you to think that loving our brothers is the same thing as loving turnip greens, because they're, they're two different things. Agape, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God. Can I tell you when we come to worship? So many people come to church today and say, what can this church do for me? Well, I didn't get anything out of that church. I didn't like the music. I didn't like the sermon. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. A husband and wife and a child were going home, and the wife said to the husband, Did you notice that pretty dress Sister Susan had on? He said, No, I didn't see it. And he said, Did you notice those new shoes the preacher had on? No, I didn't see that. Did you see that new hairstyle Miss Barbara had? I, I didn't see that. And she said, well, a lot of good it does you to go to church. <laughs> and then the husband said the music was too loud. The preacher's tie didn't match his jacket. There was a crying baby in the seat 
the pew behind them and kept kicking the seat. Now, I wish they'd have took that baby out. The preacher preached too long. I don't like them drums in a church service. And a little boy piped up from the back seat and said, yeah, but for a dollar it was a pretty good show. <laughs> Can I tell you this? The only person that we ought to worry about whether or not they're pleased when we leave this worship service is God. Because he's the audience. <clears throat> when I was doing music, I constantly reminded our choir that we're not performing for the church. We're leading the church into God's presence to worship. When singers sing a special, or when Miss Mary or Brother Eddie plays their instruments and Brother Roger sings, they're not putting on a performance for us. They're leading us into worship for the only one of us that's worthy of our worship. We need to fear God. As a pastor, I like to hear the that boys. Y'all are great about letting me know and giving me good feedback. I appreciate that. But can I tell you more than anything else? I don't want you leaving here saying great sermon nearly as much as I want you leaving here saying what a great God. And then finally, honor the government. Four directives. What does submission look like? We're told to submit to the government. That's its first uh, paragraph. Wrapped up four ways. Honor everybody. Agape the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the king. <coughs> Did you notice something that's in common with all four of those? If I'm going to honor everybody, I've got to humble myself and do that. If I'm going to love the brothers, agape the brothers, I've got to humble myself and do that. If I'm going to fear God, I've got to realize he's God, I'm not. I've got to humble myself before my God. And if I'm going to honor the government, I've got to humble myself before our leaders. And can I tell you that the execution of those four little commands. Sometimes it's easy. If somebody's loving and kind, it's easy to love them back, isn't it? If our boss is a good boss and he takes care of his people and he is a good person to work for, it's easy to honor that boss, right? And, and to submit and be respectful to that boss. But our husbands and our wives, if, if they're loving and kind and gentle, it's easy to submit. If our government is leading in a way that we agree with it, and can I tell you that I've about come to the conclusion that's about half the time, because whoever's president, about half the group, half the people is going to be happy. So sometimes it's easier to submit to the government. But what about when that person I'm supposed to honor is a skid row bum or a drug addict. We're to love them anyway. 
What about when our brothers and sisters in Christ act less than being brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you ever had a fellow Christian act less than Christian-like with you? What about when our boss is an idiot? Or our boss makes an unpopular decision? What about when our government makes decisions that we don't agree with? It's harder to honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. We're called to submit. And that's out of that example that Jesus gave us. And we'll, we'll talk about this next week in this next section in, in second. First uh, Peter chapter 2, next week we'll look at verses 18 to 25, the Christian and the workplace. I had intended to use this morning as a, just an introduction and then get into that paragraph, and so I'm done with the introduction now. So we'll pick up the sermon next week. But I didn't have time for that little section of, of those four directives, and I just think that that's too important to skim over. Because that's the crux of, of Peter's uh, discussion there with submitting to the, the government. And so I wanted us to cover that pretty well. So next week I invite you back. And we'll look at, we're going to look at, we've looked at the Christian and their government. Next week we'll look at the Christian in the workplace. Then we'll look at the Christian in their family. And then finally Christians and the world in general. Because that is a situation that we've all, we all have a government, we all have a workplace or, or people that we work with in that kind of way. We all have a family and we all have a circle of influence that we deal with. So these are very important lessons because it, it's one thing to know the doctrine, but it's another thing to know what it looks like. How do we go about doing that? And so that's why this is important. Good to see everybody here today. I am glad that you are here. I pray that it was a blessing to you. I pray that God was honored in what we said and everything that we did today.